Good morning. It's a pretty awesome truth. We just sang. Where else would we go? <laughs> As if there's anything even close, you know? Man, God is in control, amen? Well, it is, um, it's good to see you. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, I was thinking about this this week. That for me, when I've had a when I've had a tough day, like you know, for whatever reason, there's a million, right? You can have a tough day for a lot of reasons. But when I have a tough day, there is something really comforting for me about coming home and seeing my wife, seeing my kids. You know, coming through the door, it's a it's a safe place. There's something really reassuring about being around people who love you no matter what, you know? And I was thinking about it in preparation for this week that I feel that way coming here, you know? There's something reassuring about coming to this place to be with my Christian family, that I'm around people who love me no matter what, no matter what. I'm like, no matter what you're like, and no matter what's going on in the world around us, that this feels like a safe place. And I think it's supposed to be that way, don't you? I'm grateful for that. Well, it's no secret that this past week has been a difficult week um, in our nation, for sure. And I got to say that I personally, I personally don't think that I have lived through a time in my life where there is more hate and more division than what we're seeing right now and experiencing in our world today. Which is why I believe that it is the time for the church to come together. We cannot... We must not allow the hate and the division that is dividing our world to divide his church. Amen? I believe that as the church comes together in unity, that we are standing with an incredible opportunity to be able to offer to a hurting world the source, the only source of true hope, right? The hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of people looking for hope right now. Not just out there, brothers and sisters, in here, right? The only place to look for hope, hope that it will truly last, is in Jesus Christ. I, uh, I had no idea. I mean, I knew when I chose this series, I knew, you know, why I chose it. You know, starting a new year, wanted to make sure we were focusing our hearts on what does God want for us and where else to look, but what God prayed for his people in John chapter 17 seemed like a good place to look for what God wants for his people. But I didn't fully understand just how, oh man, God is so good, he's so sovereign, he's so in control, that when he chooses a series that we're going to look at, because I believe that God led me to this series, that the timing of week three would fall on a week when I feel like if there's ever been a time when people need to hear about the need for unity in the church, this is the time. And wouldn't you know that today's text is all about unity in the church? God knows that. 
And I'm so grateful that he chose this passage at this time for us. In our first week, we looked at verses uh, 1 through 5 in John chapter 17, this, this prayer that Jesus prayed just hours before he would die. And uh, in that first few verses, verses 1 through 5, we saw that Jesus prayed for himself. And he prayed with a focus on bringing glory to God. Last week, uh, we looked at verses 6 through 19, where Jesus prayed specifically for his disciples. Those 11 guys that were left. Judas has already left. He's got these 11 guys, and he's been talking and teaching them. He lifts his eyes to heaven. He prays in verses 6 through 19 for them. And the primary focus of that prayer was for their sanctification. He prayed that they would be set apart for God's purposes. And today, we're going to look at the final verses of Jesus' prayer, verses 20 through 26, where Jesus prays for all believers. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for me. And he prays with a focus on our unity. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, let me just say that it would be our honor to be able to provide you with one. So just let you know, one of the greeters or myself or somebody know that you'd like to have a Bible. We'd be happy to provide you with one. And I just want to say, I, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. I, I say this, if, you go, if you're an Ignite student, you've heard me say this uh, with our youth group, but it's good to carry your Bible. You know, I, I am super grateful, by the way, for my, for my cell phone that I have my Bible on my cell phone. It's great. But, but um, there's something about holding the pages and, and, and feeling it in your hand and, and, and seeing the pages in front of you and, and maybe highlighting and marking it. And, and it's a funny thing that years from now, you'll go back and you'll think about the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. And you won't remember what verse it is, but you'll remember that it's on the right side of the page near the bottom, right? <laughs> You don't do that with a phone. Well, I know it's right on the bottom, no, right? Because you just scroll through. Uh, we want to be a people of his word, you know? So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to provide you with one. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world." O oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I just want to thank you for this prayer. Thank you that in the final hours that you walked the earth before you would suffer and die in our place. Thank you for taking the time to instruct your disciples and then taking the time to pray. 
to pray for your glory, to pray for your disciples, and to pray for us. And God, I pray right now that the things that you ask for, that we would see accomplished in this body. God, I pray that you would speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, as we come to this final section of Jesus' prayer, that it's immediately, we're struck with just an amazing truth, right? And I've talked about it every week in this series, but it, it's just amazing that Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for us. He says in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus begins this, this final section of his prayer by expanding the focus of his prayer to include future generations of believers. He said, I do not ask for these only. I'm not just praying for these disciples. I'm praying for every believer who will come after them. Those who will believe in me, he says, through their word. See, Jesus knows that although he's, you know, just, he had just told Peter not long ago, like, yeah, you're going to deny me. Three times, actually. He knows all of their failures. He knows all their faults. But he also knows that after he's been crucified, and after he's been resurrected, and after he's ascended to heaven, he knows that these guys are going to continue to teach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. He knows that that's what they're going to do. He knows they're going to live for him. And he knows that people are going to respond. Jesus knows that the time that he's poured into these disciples is going to be multiplied exponentially as they pour their lives into others. And he does the same thing, by the way, through us, doesn't he? As we invest in the lives of others, more and more people come to Christ. And then they, in turn, share it with others. And the gospel goes forth exponentially. And so as Jesus is praying, he looks into the future and he sees generation after generation of believers. He sees you and he sees me. You know, in a way that I believe that only God in the flesh can, I believe that Jesus, in those final hours of his life, he could see your faces, you know? All at once, in a way that only God can, he sees those who love him, those who are his. He sees you and he sees me. What began as just a group of 11 men from Galilee is going to become a multitude from every tribe and nation of the earth. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, verse 9 is just an incredible description of the growth that's going to take place. He says in Revelation 7, 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Jesus, in this prayer is talking to his father. He's been praying for his 11 disciples. And now he says, I'm praying for all of those. All those faces that one day will be gathered before my throne. He sees you and he sees me. You know, that must have been pretty encouraging to the disciples. 
by the way, just to hear Jesus pray that? Because in praying that, Jesus was confidently predicting the success of their mission. You know that it, a weird thing happened. Jesus, at the end, he's, he's, he's praying for his future disciples. And he's praying for these disciples that they're going to continue to be his disciples after he has died. Like, that's weird. Like, because at that time, when, when Gamaliel died, you know, as you know, Paul, Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel, right? When Gamaliel died, Paul stopped being a disciple of Gamaliel, right? But Jesus is, is, is doing something totally different here, isn't he? You're going to continue to be dying disciples because Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. His death would not stop it. And he says, it's not just going to be you. Man, there are going to be more and more disciples that come after you. That must have been pretty encouraging to the disciples. The truth of the matter is, you and I are living proof that his words came true, right? He said they're going to believe through your word, right? And, and who was one of the guys that was standing there when he said this? John. John, the beloved apostle, was standing there as he said this. And what did John write? The book of John, the book that we're reading right now. The words that he wrote down, and he also wrote what, first and second and third John. He wrote the book of Revelation that I just read from just a moment ago. Jesus says, because of your, the words that you're going to share, others are going to become my disciples too. In fact, if you hold your finger where you're at in John 17 and just turn over to John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Um, John says that, that this is the reason that he, that he wrote the book. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, Jesus did more than what I have written down here in this book. But... Verse 31, these are written, the, the things that I have written here in the book of John are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this book so that you and I would believe and would have life in his name, in Jesus' name. And so Jesus says, I'm not just praying for Peter. I'm not just praying for John. I'm not just pray, praying for James and Andrew and all the other disciples. He says, I'm praying for Jonah, right? I'm praying for Todd and Rain. I'm praying for Jean and Shelly. I'm praying for all of those who will come after you guys. On the night before Jesus would suffer and die, you were on his mind. Jesus prayed for us. That should blow your mind. Let's look at what he prayed for us. Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, uh, them, even as you loved me. As Jesus thinks about all of the future generations of people who are going to follow him, he's got all those faces before him, right? Millions, billions, right? That are going to follow him. The first thing that Jesus prays is, Father, keep them unified. Keep them unified. Jesus prays for our unity in him. In verse 21, he says, that they may all be one. In verse 22, that they may be one. In verse 23, that they may become perfectly one. That's a lot of prayer for unity in just a couple sentences, don't you think? Last week in verse 11, we saw that he prayed for the unity of his disciples, right? He looks at his 12, uh, the, the 11 guys, rather, these Jewish men from Galilee, and he says, Father, keep them unified. You see, even with all that the, uh, the, that the disciples had in common, even with all that they had in common, they were from the same area, they spoke the same language, they were all Jewish men, even with all that, they still had plenty of differences, differences that could tear them apart. Jesus prayed for their unity. When, when Jesus called his disciples, he called Matthew. Matthew the tax collector. Somebody who was working for and really with the Roman government. He would have been hated, right, by the common Jewish person. He would have been hated. He also called Simon the zealot. Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. The Zealots were an aggressive political movement seeking to overthrow the Roman government by force. They were done with Rome. They were done. They were going to overthrow the Roman government by force. And so Jesus says, you know what would be awesome? Is if I take Simon the Zealot, who hates Rome so much, he's going to overthrow Rome by force. I'm going to take him... And then I'm going to take Matthew, who is a traitor to his Jewish people, working with Rome, and say, we're going to hang out together. We're going to be a family. Man, you think you have family dysfunction, right? <laughs> Jesus says, this is a good idea. Jesus says, I'm going to take these people who are so different. I'm going to pull them together, and I'm going to unite them with a common mission and purpose. And that's exactly what he did. All allegiances were gone at that point, except for their allegiance to who? To Jesus Christ. And all of their differences were put aside because they were now united with a common mission and purpose. And so in verse 11, Jesus asks his father to keep his disciples unified. That was a necessary prayer. They were fighting all the time. It's so funny. They're like walking with Jesus, right? And like, well, I've, I think I'm better than you. <laughs> yeah, I am, you know. And it even had their moms involved with it. Like going to Jesus, say, hey, would you like sure that my boys sit bef- with you in heaven? Dear right and left. Like these guys, like there was so much to tear them apart. But Jesus kept them together. 
And now in verse 20, as Jesus thinks about all the future generations of people who will follow him, people from, from Maine. Have you ever met anybody as stubborn as somebody from Maine? Seriously? He pictures Mainas. Mainas. And he pictures people from Mexico, people from Europe and Asia, right? From Africa. People who are rich, people who are poor, people who are young, people who are old, people who, who have college degrees, and people who are illiterate. People from every nation, from every tribes and peoples and languages. And as Jesus considers all of these people who will come to believe in him, as he considers the incredible diversity that makes up the body of Christ, his church, he says, Father, may they be one. Jesus prayed for our unity. Take this diverse group and make them one. But notice what he says about our unity. unity. In verse 21, he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one, verse 22, even as we are one. The unity that we have with each other is modeled after the unity that exists within the Godhead. Jesus says, Father, I want my followers to be united with each other in the same way that you and I are united. In the same way that that we work together for our glory. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working together for the glory of God. He says, I want my people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, right? Every, every one of my believers, I want them working together for my glory. Unite them, he prays. And in verse 22, he says, the, the glory, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become Perfectly one. Jesus says here that the source of our unity is Christ in us. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. In verse 22, he says that that he's given us the glory that God the Father has given him. He says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. Why? Keep reading. That they may be one, even as we are one. That means that if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, God's spirit dwells within you. Paul, when he was writing um, in Colossians, said in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, he said, this is a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you're a Christian, that means his love, his goodness, his character, his grace, his mercy is made manifest through your life. And Christ's indwelling spirit, his presence is in your life. And it is the source of our unity with each other. I need you to listen to me carefully. If the only thing, if the only thing that you and I have in common is Christ's spirit in us, 
that is enough to overcome all of our differences. If the only thing we have is Christ's Spirit in us, that is enough to overcome all of our differences and keep us united. How many of you have ever had the opportunity um, to worship with believers in like a totally different culture? Totally different. Anybody been to another culture? Different languages, you know, different styles of worship. Whenever I think about this, I always think of, um, uh, I don't know if it was this year or last, no, it wouldn't have been this year. I don't know. One of our trips to Mexico, we were in a prayer meeting. And I'm sitting between people. Some of them are praying in Spanish and others are praying in Totonac, an indigenous language in Mexico. And then we have others there who are praying in English. And the thing is, in their prayer meetings, they all pray at once. And so it's not like it's my turn. And you know, like, by the way, at prayer meetings here, right? It's like, you, I finally got the courage to start praying. And then you start to pray and somebody else jumps in at the same time. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, like who's going to go? Who's going to take? Who's going to take the lead here? You don't have to worry about that in Mexico. Just everybody step all over everybody. It's awesome. So everybody just prays at once. So people like, all around you, they're praying in Spanish and Totonac, and you've got people praying in English, and we're all praying to the same God, and it's amazing. But it's so different. It's so different, and it's like wow. One of the greatest blessings that I've had in my Christian life is to be able to experience worshiping with brothers and sisters who are so different than me. Every time I go, I'm struck with just the awareness of the incredible bond that we share. You've experienced that even in the, even like in the grocery store, right, here? Like, you ever just been like, run into somebody and you start talking and you're like, that's a brother, that's a sister. They know the Lord. I can tell. I don't know how I know, but there's something in it. My spirit is resonating with the spirit, and I know that that's a believer. You've had that happen, right? It's amazing. The presence of the Holy Spirit unites us in, in ways that transcends language barriers and worship styles, right? In the church that we visit in Quatatola, there's a collage that hangs um, on the wall. I wish I could like zoom in on it so you could really see it up close, but... Um, it hangs in the back of their sanctuary, and it's made up of pictures of families in their church, right? Pictures of brothers and sisters. But it's also in that, in that uh, collage are pictures of brothers and sisters who have come to Quatatola on short-term trips. People from, from all over the United States, not just our church, but in that collage, there are lots of pictures of men and women and students from Fayette Baptist Church who have been part of helping to build that church in that community in Mexico. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder that hangs in their sanctuary that we are unified together as one body. One body. Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you and I have the Holy Spirit in us, we are unified. We may disagree about just about everything, right? We might look different. We may worship differently. But we are unified in Christ. There is only one body. One body made up of many parts. And so this begs the question. 
If positionally, if positionally we are unified in Christ, that's a fact. That's a fact. We are unified in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. We're unified in Christ. Positionally. Why then is there so much division in the body of Christ? Why is there so much division between brothers and sisters in Christ? The answer is really quite simple, actually. You ready for this? You've got to get out your pen and write this down. Sin. Sin is the cause. Why? Because we are selfish. That's the truth, right? We are selfish towards each other. We are harsh with each other. We are not patient with each other. We want what we want, and we assume that we are right. Right? I mean, there's no possible way that I could be wrong. So obviously the problem really is with you. Right? The issue is sin, and it's clearly your sin, not mine. Right? Well, obviously not. It's probably mostly my fault. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all, get these, these are words. These are, man, can you imagine if Fayette Baptist Church, and then here's the descriptors, people who walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately in our world today, we are eager to break the unity of the bond of peace. Aren't we? What, you think differently than me? Obviously, we aren't even brothers and sisters in Christ. What? There's no way that we could possibly think differently about anything, right? Listen, we, you know this. Churches break up over the dumbest of things, right? Got rid of the pews. I don't even think they're Christians. Seriously, I mean, how could you be a Christian and sit in a padded chair? I'm out of here. I'm done. What? No organ in your church? Are you kidding me? Or, or how about this? Skinny jeans and t-shirts for a pastor? Ridiculous. Right? There's no way that that guy's a Christian. I'm being obviously a little facetious here, but the reality is we break up. We... we Instead of being eager to keep unity, I think we're eager to break things up, aren't we? We're looking for our differences instead of looking at what unites us. Verse 4 in Ephesians 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. One. If the only thing we have in common is Christ's Spirit in us, that's enough to overcome all our differences and to keep us united. The key, of course, is to keep our eyes fixed on what unites us. Right? 
The key is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Pursuing what he prayed for in verses 1 through 5. God's glory. Working together to fulfill the mission that he has called us to. When you're fixed on that, you haven't got room to divide over all these other things, do you? Because we've got a mission. We've got to work together. Which leads me now to the purpose of our unity. According to Jesus in these verses, the purpose of our unity is that the world may believe. That the world would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that the world would know that God loves them. Look at what he prays in verse 21. He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says that there is something about our unity with each other that convinces others that Jesus is truly from God. <laughs> How else could they get along, right? It's got to be something supernatural. And again in verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. According to Jesus, the purpose of our unity is for the world to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. According to Jesus, there is something about unity that convinces the world that God loves them. And I don't, know, I don't even know that we have to understand how that all works. But Jesus says it does. That when we're unified, people believe that God sent Him. When we're unified, people believe that God loves them. Wouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough for you to fight for unity? Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say that uniformity will convince the world. If you'd all just look and act the same, then they believe. If you would all just wear the same clothes and drive the same cars, live in the same... No, you can't live in the same house. That would be chaos. Right? If you'd all just you know, wear your hair the exact same way... Actually, why don't we do that? I'll be your leader. <laughs> Let's practice uniformity. James is already with me, right? You know, A few of you men, I won't call you out, but you're halfway there. So, look, we all wear our hair the same. Then they'll believe. No, then they'll think we're weird. Right? That would be scary. It doesn't sound attractive at all. Wait a minute. It sounds very attractive. <laughs> but just not to the cause of Christ. I'm off track. But notice that he also doesn't say that unanimity will convince the world, right? If everybody agrees about everything, if we were unanimous in the way that we think, we all agree that, that chairs are better than pews, right? 
If we just believe that, or that hymns are better than contemporary worship, right? We should all agree on infant baptism versus believer's baptism. Oh, if we all just agreed on that, then the world would know. Right? No. No, 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 no. We do not have to agree about everything, do we? Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. Disagreement is not the same as disunity. We can disagree and still maintain our unity. One of the things that I absolutely love about the elders that I serve with here at Fayette Baptist Church is the fact that we don't agree on anything. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We don't agree on everything. There are many times when we disagree about things, but we are committed to maintaining our unity for the sake of the gospel. We discuss, we debate, sometimes vigorously. We disagree, and we pray, and we search God's word, and we hug it out, and we continue to serve side by side, united in our mission to help others grow in the knowledge and love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We love each other. And we are committed to one another. We do not agree about everything, but we are unified. I'm thankful for these guys that I serve with. Our unity as Christians is not rooted in our constant agreement on everything. That's unanimity. Our unity is not rooted in our being the same in every way. That's uniformity. Our unity is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that it is our unity that will convince the world that he is the son of God. It's our unity that will convince the world that God loves them. Earlier that night in John chapter 13, Jesus was talking with his disciples and he said in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By the way, he said this just moments after doing what? Celebrating the Passover meal, then getting up, taking taking a towel, and washing the feet of the disciples. He assumed the role of a servant. Washed his disciples' feet. And he says... This is how you're supposed to love one another. Serving one another. Considering others before yourself. In verse 35 he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's our commitment to unity in spite of all our differences that convinces the world of God's love for them. Is there any other place in the world like it? Honestly, if the church acts like the church, is there anything else in the world like it? And I'm, saying, I'm inviting you to think, to close your eyes, maybe even think, what could the church look like if we practice this? I dare say that if you took a snapshot of our church today, 
And then we actually began to live this out. I, I believe that the snapshot that you see today would look very different than the snapshot months from now or years from now. If we were a group of people who loved each other and served each other and stayed unified together, things would change. It would look different. And that's not saying that things are horrible now. It's just saying that I think God has a much bigger vision than what we've settled for. It is our commitment to unity that convinces the world. As you take time to reflect on this prayer that Jesus prayed, as you take time to ask God how to apply these truths to your life, my hope is that you would ask God to show you any areas where your relationship with other believers could be standing in the way of others coming to Christ. Because if our unity, if our unity convinces the world that Jesus is the Son of God and that He loves them, what does our disunity tell them? We're sending a message. We're sending a message to the world either way. My prayer is that we'll choose unity. This is a serious, serious matter according to Jesus. Souls are at stake. And that should really cause us to pause and say, wait a minute, what part am I playing in drawing people to Christ or pushing them away? And so the first thing he prays is that we would be united in him. Then in verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' first request is for our unity in him. His second request is for our unity with him. Jesus prays that we will be together with him in the fullness of his glory. I just love this verse. I think it's like my favorite verse in this, this section. Are you supposed to have favorites? <laughs> I mean, like, the rest of your words are okay, Jesus, but this is really awesome. The fact that Jesus is thinking about his disciples, he's thinking about all of those who will believe, he's thinking about you and me, and he says, Father, my will, my desire is that they would be here with me. Think about the fact that the Son of God, the creator of the universe, thinks of you and says, I just want Bob to be here with me. I just can't wait for Mary Lee to be here with me. I'm so looking forward to James' arrival. I can't wait for them to see my glory fully. I mean, the disciples, they got a taste of it, right? They walked with Jesus. But Jesus, when he walked the earth, he veiled his glory, right? A few of them got a taste of it on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And that was overwhelming. And Jesus says, man, these guys, they have no idea what they're in for. I can't wait for them to get here. By the way, hopefully that changes your view of heaven just a little bit. I joked at our small group this week that I would love to listen to Ivan play the harp in heaven. 
for like five minutes, <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, but heaven is so much bigger than angels and cherubs floating around on clouds and all that we've created in our mind about what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is being in the presence of the fullness of the glory of Christ. Amen? And Jesus says, man, I can't wait for them to be there. Earlier that night, in John chapter 14, when he was talking with his disciples, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is on Christ's heart. Jesus came to this world to restore the brokenness between God and man, right? He came so that we could experience unbroken, unveiled fellowship with God. Our sin separates us from God, but the sacrifice that Jesus was about to make by dying on a cross for our sins, that created a means through which we can be restored to God. Through a relationship with Jesus, we experience the forgiveness of our sins. We experience the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit in our lives. <laughs> and we look forward to being in His presence for all eternity. Worshiping Jesus in the fullness of His glory. That's pretty awesome. You know, the relationship that you, you have with Jesus right now... No matter how good it might be, it pales to what it's going to become when you're with him in his glory. you got a taste of it right now, and it's so good, right? It's so good, the freedom that we experience walking with Jesus and the victory that he gives us over sin in our lives. and We get tastes of it, don't we? But I'm telling you, that one day we're going to be in his presence in the fullness of his glory. And, and it's just, there'll be no veil, no separation. We're going to see him for who he truly is for the, really the very first time. And we get to experience that for all of eternity. In Psalm 27, David wrote, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. You ever pray for that? I bet more of you have prayed for that recently than you have in the past. Looking forward to being in the presence of Jesus. Man, let that be the longing of our hearts as well, right? I just want to be in the presence of Jesus. That's a prayer that Jesus can say amen to. Right? He says, I want the same thing. I want the same thing. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Jesus wants you there with him. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus concludes his prayer with these words. He says, O righteous Father, 
Even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You could look at these closing verses as the amen of Jesus' prayer. Jesus has prayed this prayer in the confidence of his relationship with God the Father. Jesus says, I know you, Father. I know your character. I know your heart. I know the love that you have for me. I know the love you have for my disciples. I know the love that you have for all those who are going to be following me. I know this. I know that you are going to accomplish everything that I have asked for. Everything that Jesus prayed for, God the Father is going to accomplish. That is actually pretty cool about about what he just prayed, right? The fact that Jesus prayed that you will be with him, you know that you can take that to the bank, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's as good as done. What Jesus prays for you, it's going to happen. That's pretty awesome. He also prayed that we would be unified. And we will be unified. Positionally, we already are. Practically, we've got some work to do. Right? But one day, we will be 100% unified. Let's start pursuing that now. In verse 26, Jesus says, I have made you known to my disciples, and I'm going to continue to do so, so that the love that you have for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Jesus has manifested the character and the nature of God perfectly in every moment of his life. And he says, I'm going to continue to do so. I'm not done. He's going to, he's going to continue to make God known in the hours that are approaching, in his suffering. He's going to make God known in his death on the cross. He's going to make God known in his resurrection from the grave. He's going to make God known as he gathers with a few of his disciples after his resurrection. He's going to make God known in his ascension. And he's going to make God known by sending his Holy Spirit to indwell his believers, his followers, so that they can make God known to the rest of the world. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a time of incredible opportunity. And I think it's time for the church to come together, to unify, to fix our eyes on Jesus and point others to the only source of lasting hope, the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. My prayer for you as I just think about this series, my prayer for you and for me is that we individually and as a church family, that we would be consumed with the things that Jesus was consumed with. That like Jesus, everything we say and everything we do will be for the glory of God. My prayers that we'll be committed to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, just as Jesus did. Praying that God would keep them in Him. 
that he would keep them unified, that he would fill them with his joy, that he would protect them from the evil one, and that he would set them apart for his purposes. We pray that for each other. And my prayer is that we would be unified together in him so that others would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. My prayer is that we would put aside our differences and unite for the sake of the gospel so that others would know and experience the love that God has for them. My prayer is that together we will shine bright in the darkness until we are united finally and for all eternity with Christ, worshiping Him in the fullness of His glory. I'll ask the worship team to come up now as we close. The last couple of weeks, we, we've closed our time, giving you an opportunity to, to pray. And um, I want to give you just a, a few moments to do that today, to pray for unity. Pray for unity in the body of Christ. Ask God to reveal to you anywhere, in any relationships that maybe that you need to, to deal with that are standing in the way of that unity. We take this time to pray, and then I want to invite you uh, to stay for a time of prayer together uh, after the service. We'll take a few minutes. We'll let people who need to leave be able to get out and, and, and go. Um, but very shortly after the end of the service, we're going to have a time of, of prayer here together. You know, 45 minutes to an hour, and as, as has already been said, if you can't stay for the whole time, that's fine. Just leave as you need to. But invite you to stay and pray with us. And then um, after you've had a chance to pray here just for a moment, um, I'm going to close our time doing something that I've wanted to do through this whole series, and that is I want to read the whole prayer in one sitting. So I'm going to close our time in prayer reading the words that Jesus prayed uh, for himself, for all believers, and for his disciples. All right, let's take this time to pray. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. 
Holy Father, keep them in your name. The name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now, I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so, have I, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake... I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. In Jesus' name, amen.